0: Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. This next conversation you're about to listen to is probably one of the most impactful and profound conversations you'll ever have the privilege of listening to. And and I personally felt quite honored and blessed to be able to spend time with this man and listen to his stories and, and unbox all the wisdom that does come with it. It's not every day that you get to meet a former governor of uh, one of the states in America. Marty J. Shriver was the former governor of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. He's a war-winning crusader for Alzheimer's caregivers and persons with dementia. His own wife actually had uh, Alzheimer's and dementia for 18 years, and he faithfully cared for her uh, for those 18 years Uh, They were married for 61 years and Marty himself is actually 83 years young today today actually, which is um, quite remarkable that he's still continuing to do all the amazing things that he is doing and and bringing to light uh, more and more in, in terms of, um, information regarding caregivers, the ones that actually look after people with Alzheimer's and, and dementia because it is a nasty, nasty uh, disease that, that does go on for for some people in this world. But Marty has reached audiences nationwide at live events and via media. He uses humor and compassion to share lessons from his ongoing decade plus journey as a caregiver. In 2017, he gave more than 130 presentations to audiences that included family and professional caregivers, healthcare workers, social workers, nursing and pharmacy students, civic and business leaders, among many, many others. Also, I should say that Marty's wife, Elaine, passed in April of this year, so fairly recent actually. Uh, but Marty is promoting his 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 book, My Two Elaines, Learning, Coping, and Surviving as an Alzheimer's Caregiver. And it was actually recognized by caring.com as one of its best caregiving books of 2017. And I highly encourage each and every one of you to go and get a copy of the book, My Two Elaines. Uh you can get a copy. links for that will be in the show notes below too. But hearing the story of Marty and Elaine as well, how he took looked after Elaine. He actually talked about how he had to let go of his his past wife and, and learn to love a new woman because that is what happens with Alzheimer's and dementia. They don't remember who you are, the old person. They just remember the new person currently, right now. So it was interesting for me to learn. From Marty, what it actually takes to become a caregiver, what love really is, what it means to, to give of yourself wholeheartedly and to show up in the way that Marty does. It's a powerful conversation, so I hope that you guys can help support Marty by getting a copy of his book, My Two Elaine's. I'll link that in the show notes below for you. And please do share this one around with all your friends and your family. If you do know someone in your family that is going through Alzheimer's and dementia, it is nasty. So hopefully this may may be a light and a comfort in some way uh, to some of you. So please, if you knew that do, you know, do know someone, share it with uh, with them, um, and hopefully they can be helped by Mighty's mighty stories and, and wisdom. So my friends, enough from me. You guys know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box. As you learn more about Alzheimer's caregivers, Marty's incredible story, and my two Elaine's from the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Marty J. Schreiber. How's things for you, Marty? Like with all the press promotion revolving the book, are you keeping up with everything? How are you feeling about it?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for asking. I, uh, my, uh, first of all, it was 18 years plus when my wife was diagnosed. So mm-hmm. that been a, a, a journey in and of itself. But she passed away on April 25th. And so since April 25th, uh, the, the book has come out. Uh, and so much of my life has been then preparing for the launching of the book and um, doing the kinds of things that have to be done. So it's been it's been very busy. And uh, probably a blessing that I have had a chance to be as occupied as I have been, uh, because I think this whole process of adjusting in life sometimes takes a period of time, and uh, and it's coming along. And and I don't know if you ever heard of John McCain. I have. Uh, yes. The US Senator uh, from Arizona, and and he had brain cancer, and he he said, you know, don't feel. Uh, bad for me because I've had a great life, and no one gets out of this alive. And I remember him saying that. And and so um, with my wife's passing, um, emotionally it's tough, but intellectually I know no one gets out of this alive. And her world was so small uh, uh, that she did not have hardly much of a life. And so uh, uh, so 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 we go on, and um, she's been in assisted living memory care, like in a nursing home now for like eight years. And so I've had a chance to be alone and get adjusted to to all of that to a certain degree. But, uh, you know, uh, we've had such terrible killings in this country and uh, also homicides and shootings and so forth. And uh, I have been so fortunate. My family has been fortunate. Um, the COVID came, but it didn't it leave a heavy, dark mark. And so there's so many, you know, you can, life can, you know, the old saying, it can either be half empty or half full, the glass. And I i have been so fortunate in that my glass has always been half full mm. and uh, rejoice in that. That's for sure.
0: Did she so, pass peacefully? Pardon? Did she pass peacefully?
1: Yes. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great blessing. Uh, this this business of Alzheimer's that I, as I said, she was in assisted living for eight years, and so I had a chance to know many of, of the people that were there, as well as their caregivers and family and friends and so forth. And uh, it's a terrible disease, and even in, in life it's terrible. But you, even also when a person is passing, uh, because they may forget to swallow, and uh, many sad things. Uh, then physically uh, with not eat, being able to eat and so on. Um, but by the grace of God, it was a unexpected passing. Uh, the doctor had examined her the week before saying she's getting great care. She's healthy. And within five days, they called me and they said that she had passed away. And and so uh, but what happens is um, you. Like I said, 18 years. So you you lose a little bit of your wife every day, yep. and I think you grieve a little bit every day. And because of that, that grieving and losing, you you are sort of making an adjustment to be in a position to maybe more, for one of a better term, roll with the passing, and uh, also in a way consider it to be an understanding that it was time. And as John McCain said, no one gets out of this alive. Well, thank you, Jay. It's great to be with you. Thank you.
0: It's great to have you here, my friend. We'll just uh, have chatting a moment ago about all things Wisconsin. I was learning about it and you're also sharing some of the things about your wife. And I can't wait to dive further into your story because you're also a former Wisconsin governor. You're 83 years old, I believe. Hope you don't mind me saying that live <laughs> uh, for everyone to hear. Um, but you have a lot of history. You have a lot of stories and a lot of wisdom and advice that I want to try and uh, unbox for my audience, if that's okay, okay. with you. Before we dive though in, into more of your backstory, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you?
1: What does success look like for me? I, I think it's a, a comfort in your own mind that you tried and you did your best and you were able to help people. I think I think that would be success. And, uh, uh, you know, when you get to be 83 years old and you see your friends and, and acquaintances pass away and so forth and realize how much of the life was spent, uh, you know, getting from one promotion to the next, getting one pay increase to the next, getting you know more uh, uh, assets and 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 more uh, financial uh, advantages. Uh, in the end, it doesn't matter. And uh, in the end, what does matter is I guess I always say it's 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 um, maybe not whether you win or lose, but it's who's cheering for you when you're coming down the home stretch. And to be able to have good people around, uh, that's really the most important. And I think the uh, that's what I would classify as success.
0: What has made you realize that? Is it more life experience as you've grown in, in life?
1: Yes, uh, but, but my parents uh, never really felt that to be the richest or the most powerful uh, was, uh, was something that they aspired to. Uh, mm-hmm. They always aspired to wanting to do the best job possible with what they had. Uh, always trying to make sure that they were fair with people, and if possible, to help them out. So um, so it was sort of maybe ingrained uh, in in me from the beginning just by observing what was going on in in my own in my own home as a youngster growing up.
0: You did mention as you, sorry, my dog is just biased okay. <laughs> um, you did mention that you've seen people come and go over the course of your life, how has that helped shape your understanding of life itself and and the mortality of life?
1: Well, um, we had talked about uh, the former United States Senator John McCain. Yeah. And uh, uh, he had uh, developed brain cancer and was in the process of dying. There's nothing more they could do with him. And the story is told that he was with a friend, and the friend began bemoaning the fact that you know here he was dying, and and John McCain said, "Look," he said, "I've had a great life," and he said, "No one gets out of this alive," and and uh, the, it's a the truth, and and we've seen it since the beginning of humankind, uh, and uh, so intellectually, uh, we can handle the changing of the seasons, the fact that people pass on, we can handle that. But when it comes to emotionally um you you cannot you you cannot love someone and have them pass away without feeling you know deep sadness and and grieving because we're human beings and even they say that uh, um you know animals that made for life have this terrible longing and this terrible uh even loneliness but so here we are as as human beings and you know my wife and I were married for 61 years and it was a a, a wonderful life. And now she's left me, of course. Um, and, and one, one of the things, uh, Jay, that I think is so important when, when we talk about this Alzheimer's thing, uh, is, is that we caregivers don't really understand the fact that we're grieving. Mm In other, our our loved one die maybe a little bit every day. And, and, we are trying to adjust to this new normal we don't actually get to the point where we say wait a minute why what are the reasons that i am feeling as as depressed and 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 sad as as i am feeling one of the reasons is that you you have this what i call unacknowledged grief and and uh, you know what what do we learn growing up well one of the things that sometimes i i learned too late and that is to be able to understand and confront our emotions and to be able to just really question why, why do I feel uh, this way? And it's really with any kind of life situation when you're nervous or upset, what is really at the bottom of it? And that ends up, <laughs> the The title of the book is My Two Lane's, you know, Learning, Coping and Surviving as as an Alzheimer's uh, a Caregiver. The You know, the point of the matter is learning, coping, and surviving as a human being. And I think many of the principles that were just sort of driven home uh, when, as as I'm caring for Elaine, end up being true aspects of how we should be in all activities of our life.
0: How did you meet Elaine?
1: (laughs) We were uh, 14 years old and uh, we were in... uh, in Latin class. And her last name was Staney. Uh, My last name was Schreiber. So S and T, we sat pretty close to one another. And it was basically love at first sight. Um, And uh, so we dated. uh, And then what we call going steady, and we got engaged, and we got married, and four children, and 13 grandchildren, and now seven great-grandchildren. And so um, uh, again, you talk about a blessing in life to find a a helpmate uh a a companion a friend a partner um it 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 i was so fortunate and now she had to develop a lot of patience and a lot (laughs) in order for us to survive this but uh, um and forgiveness she had to do a lot of forgiving i i would like to say i was perfect but i was not but but she was always supportive. I well, one of the things I remember is I, I ran for office, uh, of course, uh, on a number of occasions and uh, she would be the hardest working campaigner. Uh, but if I would lose an election, she would never let me feel defeated. And um, I think that was uh, one of the most important aspects of our, our relationship and what gave me strength because I knew that no matter whether I win or lose an election, um, there was always confidence in, in me uh, and also support to go on and do whatever we might be able to do next.
0: How did she make you feel like you weren't defeated?
1: Uh, well, just by supporting me. Uh, and I, you know, she did support me financially after a bit of time when we ran. I ran for mayor of Milwaukee and I lost that and we spend a lot, a lot of our money, but so she she did support me and and uh, by getting a job and helping to um, reestablish our financial position. Uh, but uh, she just was patient and uh, and understanding the fact that sometimes when you lose, you get you get sad and and you uh, uh, be in a position of maybe lacking your own uh, self confidence. Uh, maybe thinking you know you know so it's, it's it's an interesting kind of thing uh when you you run for political office uh you almost are like a a, a box of soap that's being advertised and uh what happens is you, the the new the ads and the tv and so forth they uh talk about what this person is and it may or may not be true and you sort of have to separate yourself from what they say about you against you on TV and and so forth, as you would say, well, that's just a, a box of soap. That's an inanimate object. That is not me. Well, sometimes you get carried away and begin to take in personally those kinds of negative things that are occurring. And so Elaine was always there to help give me that kind of support to establish clearly that Marty Schreiber was a quality human being, whether he won or lost. And mm-hmm. I think That is one of the things that, again, a life's lesson, because we have youngsters who are going to try and and sometimes succeed, but sometimes fail. Uh, We are going to have friends that are going to do that. And to always have people understand that whether they're successful or not at one particular endeavor does not have any say about the quality of their person or their of their humaneness
0: what did what were some of the qualities that you loved the most about elaine
1: because that i loved about elaine was well, she wanted to help everyone um and uh she she loved children uh she developed an early childhood uh program uh for the milwaukee public schools uh to to help youngsters at the early ages of three and four years of age she she studied very hard and uh Went to get a master's degree in in at the university, even raising four children. So anyway, so she's in in the we're we're, we're married, and uh, we have uh, we have a total now of four children. But at the time we had three children, so she was raising three children, going to school, uh, expecting the fourth child, and also at the same time uh, helping me in in the campaign. We would go on what we would call a uh, the, the state of Wisconsin and the uh, the states uh, are divided into what they call counties. Well, we have 72 counties in Wisconsin and part of the goal was to make a 72-county tour. Well, here we are. Um, She would have to take care of and make sure that the youngsters were all, you know, in tip-top, you know, nice pressed shirts and so forth and and, uh, meet and greet the people and get into a car before air conditioning and drive And a hundred miles or so in between stops and uh, just supportive and uh, uh, enthusiastic and whatever. I mean, there was never any word can't in in her life. And, um, you know, the question, how can we do it? Not, we can't do it.
0: Yeah. You were married for, I believe, 61 years. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. 61 years of marriage. How did your love for her change over time? Did it change, or did it get stronger?
1: It, it, it well, it changes. Um, I mean, is there, <laughs> you know, certainly uh, the the uh, the reproductive energy is a lot stronger at the age twenty than it is, for example, at the age of sixty five. And so it's a it's you know it's a it's a it's a kind of love that transcends you know, from this this the maybe an emotional hot love for one of a better term right now. So you have that emotionally hot love and and of course as you grow up with children, you know, you now are developing to being partners and how you raise the children. And as the children grow up and maybe move out of the house, now you have a partner in, in getting old. And uh you know, so each of those segments of 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 the the life's journey um change in relationship and and i i would I, mean, I would say that certainly our love has it 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 depends upon how you define love if you're talking about true emotion towards someone uh that love certainly has increased in depth and and understanding over the course of uh a person's uh life together
0: yeah uh, yeah, different forms of love, isn't there, Marty? Correct. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. I haven't yet experienced, I guess, the the kind of love that you're describing. I hope to one day. <laughs> um, but when was, what age was Elaine when you started to notice the early stages that she was developing Alzheimer's? Was that, were there any signs of that? Oh, Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it goes back to when she was approximately 64 years of age, 62, 63, 64, and uh, what was happening is she was getting lost going to and from places. She was going to and from for the last 10 years. I mean, she would go to and from school. What you know, she developed this early early childhood program and so forth. Well, she would get lost, and uh, and either the pull over to the side and. The police would ask, you know, would would call and 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 I would come and get her or she would go for a walk and she would, you know, not be able to get home. Uh, She was a great cook and sometimes she would mess up her recipe so badly that it was she would cry and and or she would back in and out of our garage and many times scrape the side of the car and. we would be talking with friends, and she would tell them what we did, maybe the night or the week before, and it was a hard time correlating what she said with the actuality of the situation, and and so those those signs then um, were were so getting so so more pronounced uh, that we in turn did um, get a, a, a you know a medical expert uh, to you know help us with that diagnosis. And uh, so I, I, I do not want to I do not want us to miss another point about the type of love and changing of love. Yeah. So I, I sort of traced it from, you know, the, the reproductive love and, yeah. and moving, moving forward. But then there's also a different kind of love when my Elaine or when your loved one develops Alzheimer's and becomes a person that you've never met before. And there in turn uh, becomes another uh, kind of love because what what you have to do as this disease takes its toll on, on your loved one's mind, as this disease takes its toll, you have to know that this person is now changing and you have to then let go of this person who once was so you can embrace and love this person who now is. Because as long as I would try to keep Elaine in my world, uh, I would try to love her in my world. Well, that was impossible because she couldn't remember uh, certain things. She would sometimes do awkward kinds of, 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 of things and she would mess up on, on you know, what would happen or not happen, get lost and so forth. And so if if I would have tried to keep her in in my world, there could have never been a chance to understand and develop this love for someone who now is and uh, I, I think for people to understand that there are these stages of love but how important it is to to let go of this person who once was because this Alzheimer's is something you're never you're never going to beat this this disease head on and we've got to learn to work around it and 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 learn to understand how best we can help our loved one live their best life possible.
0: How did you, how were you able to let go of that person Elaine once was and focus on the person that she is, essentially? How how did that work?
1: Well, I want you to know that I tried a couple of different things. And I I say in the book that all of the armies marching and all of the navy sailing and all of the beer that's brewed. And all of the liquor that is distilled is not going to change this, this disease. And so it was a matter of finally beginning to understand what was happening. And um, it's, it's not a quick, what you would call a pivot. In other words, there's this person who once was, uh, and I'm going to switch and love this person who now is, because this, this person who once was, is, is changing just a little bit every day. And this person who is now becoming this person with Alzheimer's is changing a little bit every day. So you you are gradually making a, the transition. And we talked a bit uh, ago about about grieving and a, unacknowledged grieving. But as as you find out what does not work, which is fighting head on, which is alcohol, you you begin to understand that This is such a tough thing that I would tell any caregiver, you cannot do it alone. I did go to counseling and my counselor helped me identify a lot of my emotional feelings and also helped me confront what every caregiver goes through. And that is this ambiguous loss, this 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 changing. And so. It's been 18 years. uh, on on this journey, and I've seen Elaine go from this wonderful wonderful human being and someone whose world was so small she needed help in every type of activity of of living that uh, that there is. and so um you you have to work at it, but you cannot do it alone and that's really why I wrote the book because uh, I've, i I feel so compelled to help caregivers learn about this disease and my, my contention is that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. And that ignorance of the disease um, heightens the, the, the worry, the anxiety, the frustration, the annoyance, and so forth. Uh, because as, as long as I didn't understand this disease and tried to keep Elaine in my world and, you know, corrected her every How think of this? That's, you know a person is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, you know that you are going to be losing your memory and you you have that diagnosis, you're aware of that. And then someone criticizes you for everything you say. Well, I mean, how much more devastating is that? But then the other point that, that comes across really so important, and, and how did I make this change? And one of the things that really helped me make this change was understanding, well, first of all, um, I'm ready to go to print with this book, and lo and behold, I find a series of notes and journals that Elaine had been keeping, her own. Huh. What I did not know is how much she depended upon me for whatever might be considered a source of strength or, or a, a, a fundamental security, and I didn't, I didn't fully understand that if we caregivers would understand that we're such an important lifeline to our loved one, if, if, if we caregivers would understand it, we would take better care of ourselves because it's one thing for me to say, I love Elaine and I'm going to miss her and so forth, but then to go off on my own tangent in a selfish manner and, and, and do my own confronting of this disease all by myself. That's a lot of baloney. that doesn't cut it. Yeah. And uh, as I said, we ask for help and, one, one of the things we men do, at least that may probably not in Australia, but certainly here in the United States, is we don't like to ask for directions for anything. Yeah. And so we don't want to ask for help for anything either. But but asking for help is really refusing to give up. Yeah. And I have to have caregivers understand that they it takes more courage to ask for help uh, than it does to try and do it alone. And in the essence, have your own health suffer and have your loved one's life be even that much more miserable.
0: Yeah. Did you ever get frustrated, Marty?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I had a mentor um, who I talked to quite a bit and his wife had Alzheimer's and I called him up once and I said, do you ever feel so frustrated that you could just scream? And he says, not only have I felt so frustrated I could scream, I actually have screamed. And, and it it is so hard, uh, and and that, that again underscores why caregivers have to make sure they don't do it alone; that they get help because these repeat questions over again um, unintentionally. And see, that's that's the what is so important. Um, I'll give. Uh, I may be straying a little bit, but when Elaine was in the more communicative uh, language situation, we were having lunch. Um, at, at the assisted living facility, and she begins to cry. And I said, Elaine, I said, why are you crying? Well, she said, I'm beginning to love you more than my husband. Well, I didn't ask her, what's wrong with your turkey husband? I didn't do that. But what that meant to me, what I learned was it was not necessary for her to know my name in order for our hearts to touch. And I have seen so many burdened, saddened, discouraged people because their loved one does not remember their name, my advice to them is please forget about that. Because maybe asking someone to remember their name is like asking someone to win a 100 yard dash at the Olympics with a broken leg. Um, and, uh, and so there again, that's something that, that I began to understand. And again, why I wanted to write this book so that caregivers would understand uh, better how to deal with this disease.
0: Are there different stages of dementia? Like, does it, how long does it take for it to get totally worse for her to completely forget you?
1: Well, uh, yes, there are different stages, but almost every case of Alzheimer's is different. Yeah. Uh, in the main situation, she um, survived for, you know, 18, 19 years uh, since her diagnosis. Uh, the average uh, length of life of a person uh, diagnosed with with Alzheimer's may be anywhere from five to seven years, uh, mm-hmm. some other than that. And so um, uh, there is no typical case of of, of Alzheimer's. And, and because of that, while there is no typical case of Alzheimer's, there are typical things that caregivers should be doing.
0: What are those typical things that caregivers should be doing?
1: Well, I uh, when, when, first of all, as I said, join the world of the person who now is. But also, uh, there's a term that I call therapeutic fibbing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Elaine asked me once how our, her parents were. And I said, well, Elaine, I said, your parents are both dead. I said, you know, they passed away. And the shock on her face when she realized that maybe she didn't attend the funeral, she didn't say goodbye. And... and well, I promised I would never put her through that again. Well, then another time she said, How are my parents? Oh, I said, I said, Elaine, your parents are just really great. I said, Your your mom uh likes working at church, your dad likes his sports. I said, they're just really happy. Oh, she said, that makes me feel so good. Well, that's therapeutic fibbing. And and many people, because they um, you know, we we are reared from the very beginning, not to lie, but I wanted to assure. Uh, caregivers that with therapeutic fibbing i don't know if uh, you know i sort of checked it out when moses went up to uh the mountain to get the 10 commandments um he went up twice uh once uh when when god made the the engraved in the stone and then uh the second time um he went and he carved his own moses did and so uh what if you if you take a look at and you find the actual stone, there's a, a footnote which says therapeutic fibbing is okay and it's both of the, exactly both of the the tablets that were that were handed down from the, uh, from the, from the mountain. so so people have to understand again it's a matter of joining the world of the person who now is and uh, uh, then also a, a term that uh, will not a t- redirection. it's nine o'clock in the morning. And Elaine says, I would like a glass of wine. Well, we cannot fight this disease. So the answer is not no, you can't have a glass of wine. The answer is, well, do you want red wine or white wine? Do you want a taller glass or do you want it in a smaller glass? Do you want to drink it with your uh, your sisters or should we invite the neighbors over? So redirection to, to, to not confront the argument about, no, you can't have a glass of wine at 9 o'clock in the morning. But then let's assume for a moment that redirection doesn't work. What is wrong with someone having a glass of wine at nine o'clock in the morning if they don't know it's morning, noon or night anyway? And so um, again, it it all comes under the heading if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. What do we need to understand about this disease? We understand that we can't fight it head on and that our goal then should be to help our loved one live their best life possible.
0: I love how you talked about Moses the the first time when he wrote when God wrote uh, the Ten Commandments he wrote thou shalt not lie and then when Moses went up a second time thou shalt not lie in brackets (laughs) acceptable fibbing is okay or therapeutic fibbing in which case
1: (laughs) yeah well I was there I saw the whole thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was great
1: Sometimes I make up stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Honestly, it, it's incredible. But Marty, I, I wanted to ask you about how or did this whole experience with Elaine, did that strengthen your relationship more with God or did you, did you question it more and more?
1: It's always easy to profess a strong faith when your faith isn't tested. Yes. Uh, things are going hunky-dory, so to speak. And uh, as uh, as this disease progressed and, you know, 64 years of age, that's really awfully young as far as I'm concerned. There's so much of a life we had together ahead of us with uh, with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And, uh, and so I did have talks with God on a number of occasions, uh, uh, so to speak, and uh, just curious as to why this should be happening now. Uh, but basically, rather than Going into the complaint area, just asking for the strength to get through this, and uh, I, I do believe that Elaine is in a is in a better place, and I also believe that uh, through this disease, uh, we are in a better position to help make a difference in the lives of other people. And you know, for me, that's really a great blessing. And and if I if 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 Alzheimer's is is bad. I've had the best of the worst uh, because of uh, how Elaine did spend her last years of life uh, from the standpoint of in, in comfort and security and, and, uh, uh, as reduced anxiety as possible, um, uh, being able to, to have that experience, to love another person, so to speak. Um, uh, and so, yes, uh, I did question a lot, but now I am just simply grateful for the wonderful life we've had had together, and and for that I thank God.
0: Thank you for sharing that again, Marty. I, I do appreciate it. it. Is the person going through dementia? Is that person actually in pain? Is that visible at all? I, I
1: don't believe that there is a physical pain at all. Um, they just don't know. I what I'm reaching to do is turn the voice a little bit louder here and then um, did that, does that better? That look like a halo, like I'm under a halo. It did.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: I grabbed my, my desk map by mistake. Now, what was the question
0: again? I was just asking, is the person, is there any pain visible at all for the person?
1: Uh, No, Uh, no, it's, it's an emotional pain. Uh, In the, in the early years, uh, the, Again, I told you I found her diaries, and I told you, you know what I learned about her. But we, in in her diaries, uh, as I read them, we had prayed together and we had cried together. But never did I understand the courage that it takes to be diagnosed with this illness and go forward. And so I think there's a very strong, well, I mean, how would we feel as far as emotional, psychological pain is concerned to be told that we're going to be be losing our minds and, and also I don't want to lose part of this thought, but what, what is important as far as how we deal with this disease 18 years ago, when Elaine was diagnosed, there was not a cure. It could not be delayed. It could not be prevented. So we move forward 18 years in Elaine passes away. Alzheimer's still cannot be cured, delayed or prevented. So that just makes it incumbent upon us to better understand this disease as to how we might work with it so that we can help not only the person who is ill, but also the caregiver live their best life possible. So within that framework, uh, if I, the, 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 there's that very strong emotional pain and frustration. But then a person with this disease and 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 we have seen it happen, they they transcend from being this person who once was and a little bit changes up and down and so forth and so forth, they end up uh, being this different person. And generally speaking, uh, I have not experienced or seen uh, any, any type of physical pain. What what, uh, what happens towards the end of life, most uh, towards the end of life, uh, there are different things that the mind shuts down and, for example, the mind can shut down the knowledge of on how to swallow. Well, if that happens, uh, well, the person can't eat, and uh, uh, unfortunately, that the person just, in in essence, because they can't eat, they 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 become very very malnutritionized, and and, and creating a whole challenging situation about life support and so on. But uh, no, I, I can't say that there were, I've seen any any pain Other than the pain If you don't pay attention And watch closely what's happening to the person I was always afraid that Elaine would go out at night into yeah. uh, the streets and so forth And get lost And maybe hit by a car and so forth So, so yeah, okay
0: I've got a couple more questions for you, Marty Because I do want to be respectful of your time uh, What Do you have a favorite story from Elaine, from you and Elaine. Well, there are so many of them. Um, I that
1: the, the one the, the the story that I mentioned before is one that I considered to be so very powerful, uh, and and that is when I mentioned that when Elaine was crying and said that she loved me more than her husband, and 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 that was just some. Some very very special one, but you know you you go back and you know you think about the birth uh, of, of of the children and finally at child number four I went into the delivery room and before that period of time that sort of was not 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 the thing to happen but that was just you know one marvelous experience of course the wedding and I mean you just you you here's here's what I here's what I would like to think heaven would be like Jay. I would like to think that heaven would be in a big room and all there are are shelves. And on each shelf is placed a DVD of a point in one's life. And if I want to go and pick out my wedding day, I can go to that DVD and plug it in and I can see how my wedding day was. Or if I want to see the first time I met Elaine, uh, I can uh, uh, play that DVD back or, um, you know, with the first time with the grandchildren and so forth. But it's, it's you know, I, I just, life has been so full and so great. Uh, so she would help me make, I, I wanted to get into sailing as a young teenager, and we didn't have any money. We were dating, so she made uh, a sail out of parachutes. And so I wanted to run for public office. She did everything she could from the standpoint of, getting postcards together to tell people where they should vote at what location. Uh, when it was time for the children, she would make their dresses because we couldn't afford it. When it was time to move, uh, we we ended up also living on a farm for a period of time and and she took care of the lambs birthing. And uh, I mean, there was just really nothing that that she couldn't do, but each of those moments are just in and out of themselves really special.
0: Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Marty. When you got the call that Elaine had passed, firstly, how did you feel and how are you feeling now?
1: Uh, it. Uh, first of all, I knew Elaine was going to pass at a point in time, but uh, I had just left her the night before on a Sunday night and we did Zooming with the family and I fully expected to go with her again in the morning to feed her. And I then did get the call and it was like, almost a terrible blow. And the, another thing I want to encourage uh, we caregivers to do, and that is to, we, we, we've we got to let our emotions out. And uh, I was, um, even though I knew what was going to be happening at a point in time, it, it was a, it was a shock, just the realization of the finality of it all, I think maybe. And, uh, and so that went on for maybe a, a bit of time. And, in, and, in, then it was in my mind, uh, there are things to do. And so within an hour I was with the Elaine uh with her body, and we made arrangements that the uh, um, the University of Wisconsin in Madison uh would take her uh and do an autopsy of her brain because she had been with 18 years of uh of uh, since diagnosis, which was very, very unique. Um uh, so it was it was a, indeed a blow. But how do I feel now? I feel acceptance uh, of, of what's going on. I feel gratitude for our lives together. Uh, I, I feel grateful that you and I can talk about this whole matter of uh, of uh, of how we can help caregivers uh, and the person who is ill live their best life possible. So, um, and and I guess maybe we all know. You know, we we all have our ups and downs. And, um, and, but uh, <laughs> I, we can, anyone, you and I separately, we can, we can sit in our chair and we can think how terrible things are, or we can go back into our minds and, and pull back, as I said, these DVDs that are on the shelf and pull out those wonderful moments and, and saying, God, thank you for those opportunities. So, Ken, I want to show you um, a, a picture of the book, if I can. Please. I love yeah. that. Okay. And and so this is um the picture of my two Elaines. Um, I've got to learn how to operate that. And so the front cover of the book. But then also this is a book, uh, this book here really sort of uh tells the story. And that's where Elaine is is uh is certainly I gotta get my nose out of there, is certainly dependent, you know, upon whatever might happen in the future and and uh So we caregivers have to understand that um, just because our loved one is diagnosed, that doesn't mean that life is over. It may mean that a new type of life is beginning and it's painful. Uh, It's very, very difficult. And we have to acknowledge that. But I think if we do that, um, I think we can help make the journey easier.
0: Before I ask you the final question, Marty, where do you want people to go to get help if they are a caregiver what support avenues and resources can you provide and where do you want people to go and get a copy of your book?
1: Well, uh, first, I don't know what's going on in Australia, as far as what kind of support uh, that there would be the Alzheimer's association here in, in the States, uh, they have an 800 number. Maybe they even, you know, have a, an association similar to that, but an 800 number 24 seven. And so also, I would encourage uh, uh, people to be very dementia friendly. Uh, the um, um, I, I call this disease not a chicken casserole disease. Um, if if I, for example, go in for heart surgery and I come home and I can't do anything, people will bring me chicken casserole. If uh, hypothetically I, I have a, a, a hip operation, people bring me chicken casserole. But with Alzheimer's because people don't know this disease, I don't I don't get any chicken casserole. And, and uh, even friends then begin to shy away because they don't know how to handle this disease. So then the caregiver is beginning to feel more isolated and maybe even deserted by, by their friends. So within, with that being said, caregivers have to understand they must reach out for help. And to think that we can do it alone is, is foolish. And we're just hurting our own many caregivers have a good chance of dying before their loved ones because all of the emotional impact not taking care of themselves. So, um, what, so I, I do hope that there are different types of support mechanisms that people can easily, um, um, uh, get through, through, you know, through inquiring in, in, in communities and so forth. And, uh, I don't know any bookstores in Australia, uh, but, um, I do know that uh, uh, Amazon does carry the book and uh, um, or and also we have a website my2elanes.com all one word my 2 and uh, if anyone does have a problem getting the book it would be my honor to send a book to, to Australia
0: uh, You're too kind Marty honestly I, I will definitely make sure that People know where to go for my American audience. Marty just mentioned alzheimer's, I believe, uh, .com with, or the number as well. So I'll, I'll make sure everyone knows. Uh, all the links will be in the show notes below. And for those people that are here in Australia or, or abroad, I'll look at some other resources for them too just to make it easier for them. Uh, and I'll make sure people know where to go to get a copy of your book, definitely. I can't wait for my copy to arrive Marty so I can read it and and promote it like crazy things take forever these days to arrive in Australia Marty thanks to distribution issues but that's neither here or there it makes me even more excited for it to arrive Uh, but Marty I am so so grateful for your time today this is my final question I ask all my guests at the very end it is a hypothetical one but it kind of you you mentioned before you can imagine what heaven must be like with those DVDs playing Well, this is, I want to ask you this one. Imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends, your family, your grandkids, everyone has decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done while here on earth. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday what do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
1: I think, I think I would, I would like it to say that, that we were able to help people live a better life and, uh, by better understanding the challenges of life, by better understanding how we should be looking at things. I think that is what I would like. Um, um, i I think I'd like them to say that I was six feet tall and I weighed 180 pounds. whatever <laughs> happened because I'm five foot seven and 215 pounds. So, so, so what I will <laughs> and um, so no, I I don't think they're going to say that I was tall and good looking. Um, I, I, but I I think that if they say that he was, he wanted to help people as 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 best he could and. That would be what I would want them to say. And uh, Oh, I know what else they would say. And my two Elaine's sold 2 million books. That's what I would like to say.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it will. I have no <laughs> doubt, my friend. I have no doubt at all. And by the way, I'm five foot seven too, so we can relate on that. And maybe one one of these days, I might get to 200 pounds or over. <laughs> I don't even know what I am now. I think I'm 130-something, 140. Oh, my gosh. I think oh I'm... My- I'm, I'm well, how old are, are you? How i'm, I'm twenty six in in August, so currently oh. twenty five but I'll be twenty six not not too long <laughs> to uh, go. but well um, you're
1: you're old enough to be my grandson, so well, so. but happy birthday to you.
0: Thank you so much, Marty. When's your birthday?
1: April eighth.
0: So April. it just passed. okay. Well, I'll remember yeah. that for next time, and I'll send you a All birthday right. message. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Marty, for your time today and for sharing. I I really am grateful. I consider this an honor and a blessing to get to know you a little bit more and to share your story and Elaine's story as well. So thank you so much for joining me on the Storybox podcast.
1: My honor and my privilege. Thank you.
0: I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.